Father, we acknowledge before you that our hearts are so often hardened against you and your word. And so we pray that in your mercy, would you please soften our hearts, that by your Spirit you would teach us your truths, that you would make us eager to receive, make us persistent in living it out, and above all, make us single-minded for your glory. Amen. Now you can see in the outline that uh, I have four questions that I want to ask of this passage, four hooks to hang this talk on. What's her name? Where's the place? When's the harvest? And who is this man? Now to make it more interesting, as I ask the first question, I want to inform you that there is a prize for whoever can get the first question right. Who, what's her name? Now this is the key to Kai Woon's car. I asked it from him uh, before the service started. He, he trustingly gave it to me. But, but this is the, the price. Okay? I think Kai Woon got no problems with that. Uh, never mind. Now you know. Okay? So you better try and get the, the answer. Okay, so the, the person who can tell me the name of the woman that Jesus was speaking to gets the car, key, and the car. It doesn't look like a key, but it's actually a, those fancy cars have keys that don't look like keys. So. The thing is, we don't know her name. Because John doesn't tell us. Because it is not crucial information. All the crucial details that we do need to understand the passage John has given. And so we know that she's a woman and that she's a Samaritan woman. And John tells us in verse 9 that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Because the Jews saw the Samaritans as being of a mixed race. They were not pure. And the Samaritans were also despised because they had mixed in to their religion uh, things from other pagan religions. And what's more, this particular woman comes to draw water at the sixth hour, which is noon when the sun is blazing hot. Now, why didn't she come earlier when it was cooler? And most likely, it was because of shame. Because John also tells us that this woman has had five husbands. And the man she is now living with is not her husband. So, this this woman that Jesus is talking to, she is an outcast, even within her own despised people. And so these details that John gives us tells us that in her world she was seen as lowest of the low. And the amazing thing is that even to the lowest of the low, Jesus offers the gift of eternal life. And so it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done before. There isn't some standard that we must attain before this offer of eternal life applies to us. We don't have to be good enough and we can never be too bad. So what's her name? It doesn't matter. Because the fact is she could be one of of any number of people that we bump into every day. Because the basic story of this woman is the same for so many of us. In trying to fill the emptiness of her life, 
This woman had gone to the fountain of love and marriage and sex. And she was hoping that these things would give her life meaning and direction. But her life was like the empty water jar, standing in the corner. Yesterday she had filled it. Today she will have to fill it again. There it was standing in the corner, empty again. All her life she would have to keep filling and filling that water jar and it would still be standing there, empty again. Now isn't that exactly how life is like for so many of us? Now I'm sure all of us can relate to that, that that, that sense of emptiness, that sense of the meaninglessness of it all. Now some of us dare to ask the question, is there meaning to life? Others will refuse to face up to that question and, and instead will try and find something to fill that vacuum to dull that ache. Uh, We will try buying the latest gadgets. We will try turning to a new hobby. Some will try a new relationship, a new job. Some turn to alcohol. Some turn to pornography. Some turn to food. Some some will try all of the above. And most these things offer only temporary relief. But like the woman's water jar, we will be empty again. And the problem is that people don't even know what it is that they're looking for, much less know where to go and find it. But Jesus knows, and Jesus has it. Look with me to verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So this water, what this world offers, drink as much as you like, it will never stop the thirst. But the water that Jesus offers, drink of it and you will never thirst again. Drink of the water he offers you and you will have a never Ending spring, bubbling up to eternal life. It is eternal life that Jesus is offering. It is only with eternal life that we will never thirst again. So what is this eternal life? It's it's not just talking about the, the, the quantity of life, but the quality. The quality of knowing God, of being in right relationship with the one who made us and to whom we have to give account. Now some of you know the name Malcolm Margarich. He's a famous journalist and uh, he, like Song, was an atheist before he became a Christian. And as a <clears throat> journalist, he had fame. He enjoyed great success. He, he had money and so he was able to enjoy the, the pleasures of life. Now listen to what he says about all of that. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million. Add them all together and they are nothing, less than nothing, compared to a sip 
of the living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty. Now this is what Jesus is freely offering. Just come to him and he will keep his promise to give it to us. Come to Jesus and drink of that life-giving water, the eternal life that he is so pleased to give. Look at what happened to the Samaritan woman when she, she came and when she asked. After her encounter with Jesus, verse 28 tells us that she left the water jar behind. That symbol of her emptiness. After meeting Jesus, she leaves it behind. She had found living water because she had found Jesus. Second question that we are asking of this passage is, where's the place? Verse 16 to 26. Now, in our story, you see that the, the topic changes very quickly from a discussion about water to a discussion about place. Where's the right place to worship God? The, 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 the woman wants to know, is it, is it at our mountain here? Or is it as you Jews claim at your temple in Jerusalem? So, are we right? Or are you right? She, she wants to know. And basically, Jesus says, where's the place? It's the wrong question. Look with me to verse 23. And Jesus says, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. So, the question of place is the wrong one. Because true worship is not about place. It's, it's about uh, true worship done in spirit and truth. But what does that mean? Now, the best and easiest way to answer that question, so please remember it, because every time you come to this passage, remember that spirit and truth are keywords in John's Gospel. In chapter 1, He's used it. In chapter 3, he's used it. And spirit and truth, when John tells us about them, is that they are all something that Jesus gives. It is what Jesus offers. It is is Jesus who gives us the spirit. It is Jesus who reveals to us the truth. So it is all hinged upon Jesus. And so if true worship is done by spirit and truth, and spirit and truth is what Jesus offers then, True worship is completely centered. It has everything to do with Jesus. And not about the place that we meet. We're thankful that we can meet in a nice place like this, but this place does not enable us to do true worship. It is only because we, by believing in Jesus, have the spirit and truth that we can offer the true worship to Jesus. It has nothing to do with whether I wear a tie or dress up in a dress or not. It has nothing to do whether I'm standing behind this or the musicians play a certain instrument or not play a certain instrument. It has everything to do with whether we trust Jesus who alone gives us spirit and truth as to whether we offer that true worship to God or not. So what's the name? Where's the place? And now the third question we're asking is, when's the harvest? When's the harvest? Verse 27 to 38. 
Now, as Jesus and the woman are talking, the disciples return from buying food. And what happens here, you must look out at my hands because my hands will do part of the talking. What happens here is that John goes from having one screen. Okay, you imagine he's describing all the action on one screen. And he goes from having one screen to a split screen. Okay, so one screen will now talk about uh, follow Jesus talking with the disciples. And the other screen will follow what the woman does. So we can, so if it was TV, it will see it all happening at one time. But because John is writing, he can't speak two sentences at once, right? So he will describe what's happening on this screen and then describe what's happening on this screen. And basically, they are explaining each other. Alright? So, Jesus had asked the woman, go and call your husband. But she is going to do more than that, right? Because this screen shows her going to call the entire Samaritan village. And this screen, meanwhile, stays with Jesus and the disciples. And the, the disciples are urging him to eat the food that he brought, that they brought back for him. And what is happening is that this screen will explain what's happening on this screen. And so, this woman goes and calls the entire village. And this whole village is now coming towards Jesus. What's that about? What's happening? Why Why are they all coming? What's happening there? Well, this screen is explaining that all the drama that's unfolding in this screen with the whole village coming towards Jesus is because Jesus is utterly focused on doing God's will and accomplishing God's work. Look with me to verse 35, where Jesus explains what the will and the work of God is. And he says, Do you not say, four months more and then the harvest? That means, uh, in the natural world, rightly you expect, after you sow, you must wait for a period of time before the harvest comes. Right, that's, that's in the natural world. But that's not true of a spiritual harvest. And so Jesus tells them, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And as the disciples listened to Jesus and as they, as they lifted up and opened their eyes, do you know what they would have seen? They would have seen this whole Samaritan. This is this despised people who mix into their religion, you know, things from other uh, pagan religions. This, this whole village coming towards Jesus. The harvest is happening now. Jesus continues in verse 36. Even now, the reaper draws his wages. Even now, he harvests the crop for eternal life. It is a harvest of, of people receiving new life. A spiritual harvest of people having new life in Christ. And it's not something that's happening way out there in the future. It's happening now. Now. People are receiving the kingdom of God. Now people are entering in, receiving eternal life. When is the harvest? Jesus says it is now. Now is the time. It is right now. 
But someone will ask, okay, this this Samaritans, they're just coming towards Jesus. Uh, how do we know they actually believe? They're just walking on you, alright? Well, that is what John goes on to confirm in the rest of this episode. Because Jesus stayed with them two days, teaching them. And at the end of the two days, they say to the woman, Aha, uh-huh, we no longer believe just because of what you told us. And they give us the answer to our fourth and final question. Who is this man? Who is this man? And you see in verse 42, the Samaritans give the answer to their question. They say, We've now heard for ourselves, and we now know for ourselves, that this man really is the saviour of the world. Okay, that's how this episode ends after 42 verses. Right, did it feel long or not? Uh, it was so long we had to split it into two different readings, right? Now, you, you compare that uh, with the Nicodemus episode. You know what's the most famous verse in John's Gospel? John 3.16, right? That's found in the Nicodemus episode. That's only 21 verses long. This is 42. Twice as long. What, what is John doing, spending so much time on this episode? Why, why is this? I mean, it, we've covered so many different things. What exactly is the main point John wants to make in chapter 4? Now, what I want us to see is that John makes it clear. What his main point is, we don't have to guess, we don't have to be creative. He tells us, at the end of this episode, the very climax of this encounter, that this is indeed the saviour of the world. The main point is not about you or me. The main point is not about how we should go about doing evangelism. The main point is about who Jesus is. That he is saviour of the world. Now friends, we can be certain that verse 42 is really the main point because it makes sense of the previous three topics we looked at. Friends, listen. It is precisely because Jesus is saviour of the world that he can offer eternal life even to the lowest of the low. Precisely because Jesus is saviour of the world, that true worship is not bound up with whether it's in the temple or or the right mountain. Because if he is saviour of the world, he must necessarily enable anyone from anywhere in the world to offer that true worship to God. It cannot be bound up with a certain place. Then if not, Singaporeans who want to worship God, wow, every time we're going to make a trip to Jerusalem, it cannot be if he is saviour of the world. Anyone from anywhere in the world must be able to offer that true worship to God and they can because Jesus offers them the spirit and truth. And lastly, precisely because Jesus is saviour of the world that the harvest is happening now. But I mean, it makes sense, right? If the saviour of the world has come, then it must mean that people are being saved. 
I mean, John is not just giving Jesus some title, you know, like the way some universities give their professors titles, you know, after they leave, you get a emeritus professor of this, it's just a title, but, but John is not giving Jesus a title, he means it for real. That's who Jesus is, because that's what Jesus is doing. He is saving people from anywhere and everywhere. That's why the harvest is happening now. Now, in my wanderings uh, away in Australia that I've just come back from, uh, last year I had the great privilege of being a student worker on the campus of the University of Western Australia. And it was at the start of the year we were trying to you know, publicize the International Christian uh, Students Group and we were giving out flyers and all that. But I remember it was a Thursday and I was feeling uh, quite discouraged, quite tired. And so instead of going out giving out flyers, I was just sitting at a store. You know, uh, I didn't really have the energy or, or the, the motivation to get up and talk to people. So I was just sitting there. Then I saw these two uh, Chinese guys walk by, look at the store, and stop. Now, as discouraged and as tired as I was, uh, seeing them stop and look at the store, you have to get up, lah, right? You don't expect them to come towards you. So, so I got up, and as I got up, my, my, my feet was caught in the string of the banner. So, you know, I was like tripping like that. And if they didn't, this was the perfect opportunity for them to walk away if they wanted to. But they didn't. They just stood there waiting for me to, you know, untangle myself and then finally, you know, <clears throat> compose myself and offer them the flyer and talk about the International uh, Students' Ministry. Uh, Anthony took not only Mark's Gospel, he also took Luke's Gospel. And he came to the, the first two of our meetings and then I had to go to Sydney for a conference. When I came back, Anthony had become a Christian. The saviour of the world had come and saved this Chinese guy's life. And friends, all around the world, that's happening. Even in places where we will not expect uh, the gospel to be flourishing, God is getting the word there. Because the saviour of the world has come. We, we learned last week, did we not, those of us who stayed, that even in a place like Northeast Asia, there, there's between 200 to 400,000 Christians. I don't know whether I've asked this question, uh, but do you know which part, which country of the world uh, has the highest rate of people becoming Christian? Did I ask this question before? No, is it? Okay, then, okay, do you know? Which country in the world has the highest rate of people becoming Christian? Anyone know? Sorry? No, no, this one no. This one cannot, yeah. Yeah. Any? Anyone know? China? Okay, China, good guess, good guess, good guess. Uh, it's not China. It's actually Afghanistan. Afghanistan, that's right. Now, okay, the reason why it's the highest rate is because it's uh, small to start with. But the point is, it is Afghanistan. Right, not some place where there's great freedom, you know, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of missionaries going there. No, it's Afghanistan. Because the saviour of the world has come. Harvest is happening now. 
So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe Jesus? Do we hear him? Because when we look around at our neighbours, when we look around at the people that we work with, when we look around at our family members, what do we see? Do we see dry, hard ground? Or do we see a field that is ripe for harvest? Now, I'm not saying that we, we must expect mass conversions, you know, revival to break out everywhere. I'm not saying that the work will be easy, that it will be hassle-free. But what I'm asking is, why don't we believe Jesus more? Because if all we see is dry and hard ground, then yes, we will just sit back, we'll wait for the rains to come, ah, then we'll go out. But if instead we see a field that is ripe for harvest, then we will, we, will, we will put on our boots, we will take our harvesting equipment and we will go out there expecting to harvest. So why don't we do that here? If the fields are right, why don't we go out there more? Song and Julia and people like them have come to see that because the Savior of the world has come, even the lowest of the low will have the offer of eternal life offered to them and if they receive Jesus will promise to give it to them. That's why they are uprooting themselves from comfortable England where there's Barclays Premier League <laughs> and going to a place like Taiwan. It's cross-cultural for them. And the, the friends that we had last week with two young kids going to Northeast Asia. Now, how many of you are Christian parents will be happy with your kids taking your grandchildren going to a place like Northeast Asia? It is crazy! It is crazy! It is crazy if the Savior of the world has not come. But we see in the Bible that He has. And it is Jesus. And we've come to experience something of the eternal life he has given. He is Savior of the world. The harvest is happening now. Let's think about how we can use our time, our energy. Let's not just pray routinely, but pray believingly for country X, Y, Z. Knowing that the Savior of the world has come, the harvest is happening now. Let's pray together. Father, please give us eyes to see who Jesus is more clearly and to pray more trustingly, to ask ourselves in what ways, Father, you want us to get involved in this harvest that is happening. Give us courage, work in us by your Spirit, enable us to participate in this harvest that you are bringing about. For your glory we pray. Amen.